there's nothing. There's nothing. Everything we place value on down here, it pales in comparison to who Jesus is. Friend, there is nothing that is better than Jesus Christ. On your worst day, he's still the best thing that's ever happened to us. If you believe it, clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Thank you, singers and musicians. Turn around and tell your neighbor how much you love them and how excited you are to see them in the house of God. As you remain standing, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 2. We will begin reading at verse 37. Man, this morning we started our foundation class again. It's going on simultaneously in the PI room. And this is not just for new converts. This is going to be something that I want everyone to cycle through. We limit it to about 10 or 11 people. It's going to be about a 12-week class. But one thing that, that I have found is that people don't know as much as they think they do when it comes to what we believe. And so it it's not going to hurt any of us if I come up to you and say, hey, Next quarter, would you mind taking this class? It ought to be, yes, sir, I, I've been waiting on you to ask me. Because it's it's just going to refresh a whole lot of stuff. And um, so this is going to finish out this year. It's got four modules. And as people go through it, we may incorporate an off-night class for people that want to go through a second module. But it's all about getting those roots deeper and deeper and deeper in the word of the Lord and why we do what we do. We cannot expect people to stay off of hype. I'm going to say something that I don't want you to, I don't want you to take what I'm going to say the wrong way because I'm not meaning this the wrong way. But growing a church is not hard. Growing people is hard. Growing an organization, you can find patterns about growing and, and inviting people and getting people. It's growing people that takes a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of discipleship, a lot of grace, a lot of mercy. So, as this goes on, there will be a sign-up sheet. And if you want to take it, sign up. If we don't have enough, I'll come up to you and ask you if you would mind taking that class. And uh, the next one will start at the beginning of the year. This one's going to finish out this year on Sunday mornings. But I can promise you, it'll do nothing but help you in your relationship with God. Amen. So that's going on. Remember me and our men's rally. I'm excited. We're going to have a great time. But the Luke St. Clair is going to be with us next Sunday night as well. So if you've never heard him preach, I can assure you, you will be blessed. Admissions Conference, January 
20th, I believe, or 21st, and I'm itching to tell y'all who we got coming. But I'm not going to do it yet because I've learned if I let the cat out of the bag too soon, sometimes they can't make it. So I'm getting closer to make sure because everybody we're bringing in, we're flying in. And so I've got to make certain that everything's going to work. As of now, it's working. But as it gets closer, I want to, I want, I want you to be looking forward to that. It's going to be a wonderful time. Amen. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, the pause here. It says when they heard this, what did they hear? If you remember, earlier in the in the chapter, the Holy Ghost fell. They were out in the streets, and people said, What meaneth this? And Peter spoke up and said, These are not drunken as ye suppose, but this is that. That was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And so he spends about 10 or 11 verses preaching to them a sermon, maybe about 15 or 16. But he's preaching to them about Christ whom you crucified, raised from the dead. This is the Holy Ghost. And so they heard this sermon, this message, and they said, what shall we do? People are still asking the same question today that they asked back then. What do we do to be saved? If the question's still the same, the answer, still the same. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I want to talk a little while today. This will probably be two parts. What must we do to be saved? What must we do to be saved? Amen. Father, help us today. I want the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord to have liberty, the Word of God to have free course. God, let that anointing sit upon this place and open our ears, not just to hear, but to receive it, God, and to apply it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said amen. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. One thing that everyone has in common except for Adam and Eve, is that everyone that has been born, they were not born this way, but they became this way. We are born lost. It doesn't matter how affluent a family is or how poverty-stricken a family is. When a baby is born into that family, the common thread woven throughout each of their lives is that they are lost. Bible says in Romans chapter 3 beginning in verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? 
No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Now that right there removes all doubt about the state of humanity. No one is born better than anybody. Now they may be born into better physical circumstances. They may be born into different families and pedigrees and social statuses and opportunities. But in regards to the state of that spiritual being, no one is better than anybody. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You did not ask to be a sinner. You were born into sin. It is part of your Adamic nature. It is that carnal man. Romans 5 and 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Verse 19 of the same chapter, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Sin, when it entered the picture, it severed the relationship between God and man. There was a holiness about humanity. And God can fellowship with holiness. But he cannot fellowship with unrighteousness. And sin severed that relationship. Throughout the Old Testament, if you look, there were certain qualifications as to who could go into the Holy of Holies. You couldn't just walk off the street, walk up in there. You'd die just like that. In fact, even the priest had a bell and a pomegranate all the way around the hem of that garment. Because if even the priest did not do everything as God ordained it, and the sound of those bells stopped, it meant that priest was dead. So there were qualifications there were steps that had to be taken to get into that place of visitation with God. One time a year, that priest would get to go into that mercy seat and offer that blood upon that mercy seat, not for the remission of sins, but for sins to be rolled back for a year. And if it was not followed the protocol, then it would cost that priest his life. What was it? Did it have anything to do with who he was as a person? No. Did it have anything to do with his family? No. It was all about the sin 
that God would not fellowship with of humanity. Bible says, John 1, 29, the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 26 and 28, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You've got to understand when it came out of the lips of John, no one could comprehend what he was saying because there had never been a blood that could remit all of sin for one person, much less for the entire world. They had never heard of blood that could remit sin. The blood that they had been using only rolled back sin. But what they didn't know was the blood that Jesus was going to shed. It wasn't no ordinary blood of bulls or of goats, but it was called precious blood. And it was that blood that shed on Calvary's hill that would purchase the church. He said, I bought the church and I bought it with my own blood. If it was the blood of a bull or of a goat, it would be insufficient. But friend, I'm here to tell you today, that blood is still flowing. That blood can still remit sin. That blood can still make a black heart whiter than snow. Clap your hands and give him praise. But God in Romans 5 and 8 commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, not when we had our act together, not when we had on our Sunday best, not when we were doing everything to make people think we were good, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more now, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now received the atonement. Hebrews 2 and 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. My friend, you need to understand the purpose of Calvary today was that he could taste death so you didn't have to, so he could suffer so you didn't have to. The ugliest thing that God ever made was the most beautiful thing God ever made because the Bible said that he hath made him sin for us. He didn't take on sin. He became sin that we could have redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Only Jesus makes God knowable, sin remittable, temptation resistible, 
joy obtainable, heaven reachable, Christianity practical, and holiness possible. You cannot have salvation bypassing Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I am a way. Because if he said a way, it would indicate that there are other routes. But when it's the way, it's the only route. It's the only way to have truth. He's the only way to have life. You say, well, what about all these other churches that preach this and preach that? Well, I'm going to tell you this. There's thousands of doctrines, but one truth. Now, truth is a doctrine, but not all doctrines are truth. And so are we going to follow doctrine or are we going to follow truth? Because doctrine is nothing more than a man pulling what he wants out of this book and creating a guideline and saying, this is what I believe, and he'll, get, he'll gather him a following. But I don't want to follow a man's opinion. I don't want to follow rules or guidelines. I want to follow truth. Because if the only way to get to heaven is by truth, then I got to live truth. You ought to clap your hands as loud as you can right now. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What must we do to be saved? I contend today that salvation is not an event you attend, it's a journey you take. That trip to the altar is not the end of salvation. It's the beginning of salvation. And I'll pause right here and say this. If that's all you do is go to the altar that first time, you got a hard life. Because it's that altar that keeps you saved. Not necessarily this piece of furniture that altar in your home. That altar in the prayer room. It's not the furniture you lean on. It's what happens in the heart when you're praying. Because you can pray and not pray. You can pass the clock by putting words together and not be doing anything. You ever read a book and can't say a thing that you read when you got through with it? You can read and not read. You can read your Bible. One thing I learned when I started preaching, I always wanted a sermon. I had to have a sermon. I was going to preach. I was always studying for a sermon. And I learned that if you study for a sermon, you won't grow. But if you study to grow, you'll always have a sermon. There's a difference. If all you're doing is reading to read, you're putting checks by the, on the box, but you're just reading. But if you slow down and read to grow, you'll be amazed at how God can speak to you and God will deal with you. And I don't want to just follow. The Bible says try the spirits and see if they are of God. The reason people are following false doctrine is they're not doing what the word says and testing it against the truth of his word. 
if it doesn't pass the, like they say, the whole smell test, disregard it. It's not, it's not true. And in the last days, deception is going to rise like crazy. And people are walking away from truth saying, well, I don't have to do that no more. And I, I don't have to do this no more. And what I have found is when you tear down one fence, it's easier to tear them all down. And you start saying, well, we don't have to do this way. We don't have to do it. And I, I'm not getting on politics, but I'm fixing to. You, I don't know if you've been keeping up with what, what's happened in the Senate on a national level. They just passed something to relax the dress code. Let me tell you, there's more to it than a tie and a blazer. It's a spirit that creeps in and it starts tearing down at society. The, the physical world always resembles the spirit world. If you look at people 30 years ago that rode airplanes, they were in suits and ties. And now they barely have pajamas on. And now it's making its way all the way to the capital. And you think, oh, it's just a coincidence. There's something happening in the spirit world. It's about relaxing things as a nation. It's about tearing down these things as a nation. And friend, the nation that forgets God, God will forget them. You start tearing down things and saying, well, this isn't essential. And this doesn't matter anymore. Pretty soon you'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. And nothing, pretty soon it's just a, it's a, it's a doctrine of grace and love where you can do anything you want and still make it to heaven. Friend, I believe God's a merciful God. I believe he's a gracious God. But I also read in that book where there's a timeline of this thing and grace and mercy expires and then you meet the judgment of God and you meet the wrath of God. What must we do to be saved? I'm on page four. I'm not going to finish this whole thing. Salvation comes through faith. Comes through faith. Faith has to be coupled with obedience. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 8.24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. We all know that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's not the result of being a bad person. That's not the result of being born in the wrong family. Who you are does not send you to hell. Sin sends you to hell. Sin does. And so the wages of, 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 of not going to church is not sending you to hell. The wages of talking to the wrong person is not sending you to hell. Sin sends people to hell. Good people will be in hell. People that acted better than church people will be in hell. 
Because it's not about who you are. It's about sin. The only way to deal with sin is by salvation. John 20, 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. For by grace, Ephesians 2 and 8, are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is the means whereby we are eligible for salvation. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And God says, I want my grace towards you is going to make you eligible salvation. Not anything you do. Not money. Not works. Nothing you can do will make you eligible or qualify for salvation. Only the grace of God. First step to salvation is you've got to believe. Everybody say believe. It's not the end. It's the beginning. Salvation starts with believing. But you've got to get beyond belief. If believing was enough to save a being, then Satan could be saved. Because scripture says, thou believest there is one God and thou doest well. Satan also believes and does tremble. Satan believes that everything about God. He knows God. He was the one, he would go with the angels to the throne. Read about Job. He'd go up there with the angels. He knows how powerful God is. God struck him out of heaven. He believes. But believing is not all it takes to be saved. The Bible says he that cometh to God must believe. It's the first requirement. You got to believe. You know, faith is believing in something. The reason you go hit that light switch for light is because you believe that that is what's going to bring light. Okay? In its simplest form, you do something because you believe in it. When you stop believing in it, you stop doing it. Right? Anybody ever went on a diet kick and you believed in, or if you buy this right here, you're going to lose weight. Now, come on. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but, you know, I know there's a, a good three people maybe in here that tried it. Right here, beginning with me. I went to Mr. Costanza's one day at Merrithrift. And they had a sign right there. It said, lose weight here. And I finally spoke up. I said, I've been coming standing right here every time and I ain't lost no weight. <laughs> he said, you got to try these products. Load me up. I bought all these products. I mean, I had pills, brother. I took them and was gung-ho. And about 10 days into it, I ain't lost nothing. I said, this is garbage. Now, I was eating the same. I was eating everything I was always eating. You know why I stopped taking them? I stopped believing in it. When you stop believing in something, you stop doing it. 
that cometh to God must believe. But you cannot stop at belief. Acts 19 and 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. What prompted their obedience? They heard the word. They believed the word. They obeyed the word. They did it because they believed. John's baptism was the baptism unto repentance. It stopped at repentance. John was the forerunner in the wilderness saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path, make your path straight because there's somebody coming after me whose shoes latchets I'm not worthy to do. But John was trying to tell him there is more coming beyond repentance. Everybody wants to stop at repentance and say all you gotta do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth on him shall be saved. They used the scripture in Romans as their foundation for their doctrine, but they take it out of context because what Paul was dealing with was a quarrel between Jews and Gentiles because the Jews didn't think that the Gentiles could be saved. And so the emphasis is not on call on the name of the Lord. The emphasis is on whosoever. Paul was trying to say it doesn't matter if they're Jews. It doesn't matter if they're Gentiles. It doesn't matter if they're Samaritan. Everybody is eligible for salvation. It's not saying all you got to do is say, Lord, save me. There's some people who are down there, get their cards signed, and they got enough to have a deck of cards. They've been saved so many times. But nothing happened on the inside. Because believing is not enough. It's got to get you beyond belief. You've got to move into the different, different realm beyond just believing. The New Testament Greek word for believe doesn't mean to mentally acknowledge something. It's actually a synonym for the word commit, as in believing something so strongly that it causes you to do something about what you believe. The gospel, three parts. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried 
and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as it pertains to us in the New Testament church. That's why in the very first church service in church history, after the very first sermon preached by one of the apostles, after the very first time someone ever asked, what shall we do? At the very first altar call in the church age, Peter said to obey the gospel by doing three things. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because it was the very last instruction that Jesus left with his disciples before he ascended. Luke 24, verse 45, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, and he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So he said, repentance needs to be preached. Remission of sins, how? Baptism. And then there's the promise of the Father, the very last instruction before he was called away in the heavens was you better preach the gospel. You better tell them how to be saved. Listen, I love preaching faith. I love preaching all types of things out of this book. But there's one thing that God said you better preach. You better don't, don't just tell them how to have a blessing. Don't just tell them how to have a good marriage. Don't just tell them how to turn their family around. But you better tell them how to be saved. Because if they don't know how to be saved, then nothing else you preach is going to matter. Friend, we better know what it takes to be saved. For the sake of time, I want to preach on repentance right now. Repentance is not just accepting the good news. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's sorry enough to change your behavior. You know, some people are sorry they got caught, but they're not sorry they did it. But the Bible says that godly sorrow worketh repentance. I'm of the opinion that we don't repent enough in our daily life. Now, I don't think that your entire prayer time should be you repenting. But I think true repentance takes longer than 20 seconds. Lord, I forgive me for everything I've done wrong. You gotta flesh some junk out. You've got to let the Holy Ghost start digging, bringing things. I'll go to prayer and say, Lord, bring to my memory anything that I haven't repented of 
There's been times he's brought things back from years ago that I didn't even think anything about. But if the Lord brought it to my memory, there might be something here we've got to deal with. We got to, it may not be about nobody else. It may be about me getting my spirit right and asking God to forgive me and, and to repent. Repentance starts inward. And then it's going to change. It's going to go outward. You want to tell if someone repented, I'm just going to make something up. Maybe they had struggled playing hopscotch. You won't know if they repented. How often do they go back to hopscotch? Repentance is not an emotion that you feel. It's a decision we make. So we've got way, we've got way too hung up on feelings. Well, I don't feel nothing. Where in the Bible does it say you've got to feel that you repented? Repentance is a decision that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep going that way. Not because I got caught, but because I grieved God. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And it's not just a one-time repentance. But I can tell you this. The more you fight the temptation to not do it, the easier to get the further along you go because you keep forming that fence in your mind. You, 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 you're reshaping your brain whereas this was once acceptable, now this is how I have to be. How does it happen? The Holy Ghost. But I'm going to tell you this. It also happens when you make up your mind. Do you know God gets blamed way too much for not helping people when it's not God's fault? It's called discipline. I knew a man, doctor told him, you keep smoking, you're going to die. He's fixing to have heart surgery. He smoked packs and packs and packs. But when he knew his life was on the line, he stood outside that hospital on his way in for surgery. He smoked it till there was nothing left to hold. And he never touched him again in his life. He wasn't living for God. It wasn't a God issue. He knew his life was on the line. And he made up his mind. That was repentance. He made up his mind. If it's going to cost me my life, I'm not going to do it. And the reason some people haven't stopped is because not because their life's not on the line, but because a doctor hadn't told them and it's not in the physical, but their spiritual life is on the line. And if they knew that it was going to cost them their spiritual life, they'd already stopped. It's not a Holy Ghost thing. 
It's a mind thing. You can will yourself. You want to stop drinking sodas? You can make up your mind. I'm not drinking sodas no more. You can do it. You want to stop eating certain things? Do it. You want to lose weight and exercise? You can do it. You want to start acting better? You can do it. All without the Holy Ghost. Don't blame God for bad behavior, for not helping you. Look in the mirror and say, I can't get my act together. I got to stop doing what's, what's hindering me. Repentance is not a feeling. It's an about face. It's I'm walking this way towards hell because my actions are sending me to hell. I'm repenting. I'm going this way now. I used to talk like that. I don't talk like that no more. I used to do that and I go there and I act like that. I don't do that no more. I go this way. It's a decision. You want to read your Bible? Pick it up. Read it. It's a decision. Don't blame God because God didn't help you read your Bible. You didn't read your Bible. It's a decision. I'm going to say this. Don't expect your children to do what you say. Expect them to do what you show. That's simple. They're not going to mirror what you say. They're going to mirror what you show them. And they will pick up on bad behavior more than they'll pick up on good behavior. Amen. Stand with me right now. Repentance. Next week, Lord willing, we'll finish this thing out. Musicians, you could come. Jesus said, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. He said in Luke, I tell you nay, but except ye repent. That word accept is an absolute word. It means there is no way around this. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to repent. But it's not just coming to an altar for the first time and repenting of your sins and getting the Holy Ghost and, and being baptized. But Paul said, I die daily. What does repentance represent? Death. Walked in a realm that nobody's ever walked in before. He said, I got to repent daily. You know how easy it is for you to pick up stuff throughout the week, throughout the day. Thoughts, feelings, emotions, misunderstandings, bitterness, all that stuff. If you deal with it as it comes along, it'll get way easier than if you wait to once a month. Once a week. Amen. I think we need to come to this altar this morning. If you're here and you haven't repented in a long time, everybody in this building needs to find a place for repentance. It's the beginning of the salvation process. If all you do is come down here and stand, and just start saying, Lord, you see my life. I need you to forgive me for things that I've done. Friend, it's the step today. 
Everybody needs to be saved. And it is the only way that we can be saved. As they sing it this morning, I want you to find that place.